had this seven inch like afro and I do remember we got reviewed I think the day got reviewed and we got mentioned and I was like oh we got reviewed let's go check it out and I was reading through the review I think the, the bloke said so this afro on the bass came on the stage and we thought it would be the house that Funk built unfortunately it wasn't <laughs> Welcome to episode four of the Back in the Band podcast, a show where we remember a simpler time in our lives when music and being in a band back in the day meant you could actually dream of one day living the life of a rock and roll star. But here we are recording this podcast just after 6pm because we've managed to get permission from our missus to fit this in around our kids' bedtime. As always, we'll be asking today's guest about the hoodies they wore, the gigs they saw, the songs they learned, the money that they burned, the music they made their dreams of getting laid, their first mp3s, the printed and ripped cds, and the strings that they snapped, and the bands that they clapped. So in a world where telling someone that you're down with a sickness doesn't get you the response, ooh, ah, 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 anymore, let's go. Lee, episode four, surprised we even have four friends between us at this point. It's quite amazing that we're here in the first place. But uh, before we get into this, and with our guest today, let's have a chat about Kinsey in the last episode. What do you think of that one? Yeah, listen to it back today, actually, to give myself a bit of a refresher. His enthusiasm for pop punk and Blink and Green Day, etc., that was super infectious. I loved hearing about his raw early performances at, what was it, the Mayfield? What was that? Like, yeah, someone, some village folk. Some village, like, it sounds real culty, sort of <laughs> weird vibe. But yeah, I just got this, like, image seared into my mind of him walking in a mile down the road with his amp and guitar because his mate's dad wouldn't drive him to the door. It's just like... Perfect. And what did you enjoy about the last episode, mate? Did you listen back? Yeah, anything that makes him feel uncomfortable is generally right up my street, to be honest. So the image of him getting mugged for his shitty bass guitar does me world of good. I'm a big fan of his uh, his passion for it all, man. Like I really could just yeah. feel that like he was living it every single day, waking up in the morning, listening to like punk rock or whatever when he was doing his teeth and just going to bed. That was everything that it was for us, man. I really related with that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, he's, you can tell he like lives and breathes it, right? And yeah, he's got that Insta account with Pop Punk that he's just obsessed with as well. Fair play to him. Um, yeah, at but, Pop Punk everything for anyone who's listening. It's really good. It's really cool. The amount of effort he puts into it. I mean, it seems like a lot of effort, but fair play to him. It's like, it's got about 50,000 followers or something, so it's doing all right. But yeah, on reflection, listening back, it reminded me of our early Pop Punk performance, Stu, when we decided to cover Adam's song by Blink-182, which um, is an in inexplicable choice of song. And I was on the train last week. I had a few after-work beers. I get a bit nostalgic after two beers. I found the video recording of us performing at a weird GCSE music performance. So bad. Mate, honestly, I was so embarrassed. I couldn't watch more than a minute, and I still haven't. I tried to do it today. I got to about the first verse. That was it, man. I had to stop. I know you were singing, but I did have to stop as soon as pretty much the vocals kicked in as well. But I don't blame you. <laughs> I think most people have walked out by that point. It's ropey, but I've decided my role here as social media manager for this podcast, this is going on the back in the band Insta. And I've cut a snippet out this morning that I'm willing to share. I think we'll tease people, I think, with this stuff. This will really help our content yeah, strategy. Got, yeah, got to earn that sort of quality content, right? Is that, why did we do Adam's song by Blink? Seriously, what a weird choice. <laughs> so apparently it's because he was learning it via his drum teacher so it was kind of like we might as well just play that in a band and I think that's where I pretty much started singing as well and I, I used the term singing loosely it was talking whilst wearing a Fred Durst cap yeah so you hadn't been playing bass I mean, that long stuff. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you hadn't been playing. You hadn't been playing a bass guitar. I mean, you could play piano, but like playing a bass guitar while singing after about three months of practice. I say fair play to you, mate, because I mean, it didn't come out well, obviously. But you gave it <laughs> yeah, your best shot. Pretty much finished there as well. Just stuck to vocals because I'd done that so epically after the Blink One Two rendition, of course. Nailed it. Yeah, so just before we get into our guest for today, just a reminder for everyone to please subscribe and rate the show five stars. We were happy to take three stars, but now we're on our fourth episode. We're a premium content builders and we only accept five star ratings. Also, remember to tell your mates, your workmates, your partners, your dog, your mum. But without further ado, let's introduce our first guest today. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing Joe Wiggins as our guest on the pod. So Lee and I met Joe at Luton Sixth Form College, actually, and after we got past all the crap Jack Osborne lookalike jokes, it was pretty clear that Joe was a bit of a muso and a massive part of the Luton Town hardcore scene at the time, if you want to call it that, and I think it was about around 2004. He's an incredible musician back in the day, albeit a complete fucking liability if you ever needed him to turn up on time to absolutely anything. I also got to work with Joe in the musical world a few years after college by producing his band at the time, The Shabby Tinkers, and got some great memories of that. Very good times. They actually wrote some decent tracks, so we don't really want to hear about that. We want to hear about his past and how bad it was when it came to getting into bands itself. Joe, great to have you on the pod, mate. How you doing? Easy, lads. How we doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So take us from the start, Joe, because you're obviously a very good musician, and as far as I know, still you still teach on a daily basis, right? Yeah, mate, I'm still out and about teaching, still gigging and that, still trying to keep the flame alive, man. Didn't know you were still gigging, Joe. What a legend, still going. Yeah, yeah, still going, mate, yeah. No, I suppose music's always been a part of my life. Right back when I was like a young kid, I think my great aunt, she started teaching me the piano and I got into that and started to do the old grades and that. And then uh, in school... I got into the orchestra and the school jazz band. And that was where I initially cut my teeth with some gigs in some rotary clubs and some working men's clubs and that. Amazing. But uh, that kind of evolved as we got to college where I met you wonderful chaps into the world of post-hardcore metal and all of those cool things. But yeah, good times, man. Yeah, so your first band was actually in college. It wasn't in school because you were doing the right thing and playing actual music first. I suppose you could say that, yeah. Like, my first, like, band was the jazz band, but my first band band, and I'm doing quotation marks here, was a band called Alpha High, which was formed in and around Luton, really. Yeah, with some good musicians. What genre are you playing in that band? I remember the name Alpha High, but I can't remember what you were sort of tackling, mate, at the time. Well, Lee, we never liked pigeonholes, mate. But I think we loved the subgenres at the time. So would we call ourselves like post-hardcore meets screamo meets metal? I think we chucked like a few in there. But uh, yeah, it was like off the back of bands like I think I was getting really into Funeral for a Friend and The Used and then Sixth. And yeah, that's good stuff back in the day. Yeah, that was our vibe. You were used to like playing in jazz and classical bands and that obviously comes with practicing in a certain way so when it came to practicing with alpha high tell us about the difference what did that involve (laughs) yeah yeah so i suppose in the like school and classical world it's like you take your sheet music home you give it a little practice you follow the dots and that i think with alpha high i mean it was all material but i joined once it had formed i think it was just a case of rocking up at like a ropey kind of hired basement in luton town somewhere and whipping out the bass the like 
50 quid school bass that has been given to me by like a music teacher and the strap that keeps coming off um, <laughs> yeah, always that came free with <laughs> yeah. it and then seeing if these like cheap strings would grow down to drop c sharp which they didn't really take very well <laughs> the lower the better i think at the time but yeah and then just i think we would just rock up play through the uh, play through the tracks that were already on the cards really and then go home and do the same the next time we met up there wasn't any going back home and going through the repertoire and that sort of thing it was just like yeah, just feel it on the day, really. I was going to say, Joe, I mean, like, you're a classical music man originally. He's learning that with your great aunt and that, getting to know. And then you get into, like, Funeral for a Friend in the Use, all this emo stuff that I loved at the time as well. I was like, this is incredible. But is it, was it actually yeah. good? Like, how did you, you know, that was quite a genre shift, eh? Like you said, you don't want to be pigeonholed, mate. I, exactly. I think my first CD was a set of, like, Schubert piano impromptus. That's where I was, like, based, like, <laughs> in, in my early years. And then, I, do you know what I think got me in, actually? I think it was the Chili Peppers, like around 13, 14. Oh, yeah. But I think being around people that were into the same sort of music, that was a new thing, this kind of identity with yeah. alternative music. And then when Funeral in particular came about, I think in that music, it is really melodic and harmonic. There is a synergy between what's going on in classical and with funeral. I don't think my original piano teacher would agree with that, but it's anthemic and it's, it's got all those kind of nuances of music that I liked. But I think being involved in like a scene, shall we call it, in college and like the clubs we used to go to was paramount in pursuing that style of music and seeing where yeah. else it went and the subgenres around it. Do you know what I mean? I think that's something we haven't really tapped into on this pod. So yeah, like the social element of it is a big part of it, wasn't it? That's how we all got along, right? We were all just vibing to tunes, having a few beers at a few parties and edge nights in Luton. It was all good crack, wasn't it? And it really brings you all oh, together. Yeah. So that was like the big jump, right, between high school at 15 and then getting to college, which leads me to my next question, actually, Joe. You took music and music tech at school, right? Yeah, at I did, mate, Yeah, yeah. There's some pretty hilarious stories about college. And I just wanted to see how seriously you took music tech as a college course. It was absolutely banging, that music tech course. And we certainly did have some some laughs in there at our teacher's expense at some point. I, I remember you guys going out to mischief, but I wasn't in music tech. So tell me a little bit more, guys. I'm really keen. Right. So this is the music theory class. So he went somewhere. And we was like, I'm going to be back in a minute. Don't do anything stupid. No, yeah. we won't. Of course we won't. So in the space of those two minutes, the entire class got turned around, but like 180, facing the wrong way. And everything that could possibly be sellotaped to anything got sellotaped to everything. <laughs> he came back in the class and was like, if you don't change this back in the next five minutes, there's going to be some serious trouble. Oh, so we man. did, including like... A guitar, an acoustic guitar got sellotaped to the wall. Yeah. And these two, like, A4 books got sellotaped to the side of his chair, and he didn't yeah. see that. So when he was like, right, now we've sorted that out, let's get back to business. <laughs> so he sat back down in the chair with these two books on the side. Mate, honestly. I think we got oh. separated permanently after that lesson, Steve. Did you investigating yeah. yeah. this? You cool. We were terrible. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that like, he's left the room, it's finally time for us to turn around and sellotape everything. Like, that's insane, yeah. like. But on the subject of Michael and Ross, I don't think we realised at the time, but that music and music tech teacher were absolutely golden. We got such good tuition from those two people. It was phenomenal, really. Quality and experience that they gave us was like, 
great. It makes a big difference. You look back on teachers being actually encouraging and open to you. But remember it, Lee, we had bad music teachers in oh, Ashcroft. Cover teachers mainly, but yeah. They still, like, the decision for them to say, look, guys, here's a key, use a music practice room for you guys whenever you want is massive. Like, they, yeah. yeah. And just to be able to do that trusting, just changes everything. If we couldn't have done that, we wouldn't have practiced, like, at all. And we Ooh. wouldn't be here with an incredibly successful podcast, Joe, talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> Come exactly. a long way. Exactly. Joe, you have made a career out of music, but when you were younger, did you always think that music was going to be your direction or were you down the kind of, I'm going to do business studies instead route? I suppose I was fortunate in a sense that I did always have that kind of drive to want to do music as a career. I didn't know how that was manifesting itself and I'm still not sure. I'm still on that journey myself at the moment, but yeah, it was always a driving force. If you can do what you love, I suppose you've got to try and run in that direction. And I was just fortunate that I just had the right people around me and the right mentors and tutors that could just carve out profession in it. Did you ever think that music via Alpha High could be your way? Were you ever doing it to be like, yeah, this is sick we're gonna get signed and we're gonna be famous for sure man yeah definitely <laughs> like when you're in amongst it yeah and especially like the scene at the time the edge and at college none of us had experienced a burgeoning scene and if we can call the Luton metal scene at the time it was evolving and we did have some interesting acts come down you had enter shikari come and play at red 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 and i suppose for alpha high i mean we played the edge that's playing like a palace of metal for us yeah. metal and sweat yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it was like a life goal, wasn't it? Like, it, it was like, a, oh my God, we're doing it. We're going to do this. Yeah. And if you could smoothly lift your foot off of that carpet in the edge, then it wasn't right. You needed a good <laughs> <laughs> suction. Yeah. The dream venue, honestly. I love that place. So that was a peak, right? One of the peaks of Alpha High. Give us some more. I'll give you a peak, right? I don't know if you remember this. I think you were there, Stu, but there was a, I think it was billed as a hardcore all dayer at the well. And it went on all day, funnily enough. And I think you had Bring Me the Horizon play and many other like acts at the time, some really up and coming and, and some beyond. And we played that and that that was the pinnacle. And I had this seven inch like afro. And I do remember we got reviewed. I think the day got reviewed and we got mentioned. And I was like, oh, we got a review. Let's go check it out. And uh, as reading through the review, I think the, the bloke said, so this afro on the bass came on the stage and we <laughs> thought it would be the house that Funk built. Unfortunately, it wasn't. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> I don't know what he was expecting. You're like, they must have been talking about someone else because I definitely brought the fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think I did do one slap bass note in one of the songs, maybe like that, that tickled his fancy. But um... So good that you bring up the reviewing thing. I completely forgot about that as well. Like it's, if you suddenly got a review from the local website, music band website. Or the, yeah. I remember there was one that used to do Bedford Ed Squires used to review gigs and it was really amazing to get a review so so musically then joe obviously you were coming from classical and people trying to do things the right way and then you turn up at these sort of practices where people have got communal ashtray pint glass that you're drinking from was there like you ever like what am i doing why am i doing this or was this like yeah fuck yeah i'm so glad this is definitely the better way to do it or what yeah i mean i was a little bit of a have a go henry because like my piano is kind of like my 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 forte shall we say and i played a bit of bass and like we, at the time, I don't know if you remember, like bands like Sixth, 
they were almost like there was technicality and with some bands for the sake of being technical. So we were like, yeah, man, we need to have some like interesting time signatures. Let's do two, then a four, then a seven. And I was like, one, two, three, I can't count. I can't count this. <laughs> so we were, there was points where we were just trying to be technical for the sake of technical. But for us, we were like, this is it. This is, we should have been headlining that all day. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool though. You're like challenging yourself a little bit as well, I suppose, with a bit of that in you. Yeah, and do you know what? I did love that experience. And all of the members of that band, and there was a few that came and went, they were all really good musicians. We were all kind of finding our feet at the time. And a lot of them still play. So like, it was it had good pedigree. Did Alpha High record anything studio-wise? I don't think it stuck around long enough for that while I was in it. There were some recordings done before I joined, which I think you can still find if you Google Alpha High Luton. They do come up on like sound click or some I do sort do of that once a week so i'm surprised i haven't come across that you do that once a week we did have we did get some t-shirts done actually it was like the kind of metal equivalent of word art i think because we had three skulls and the alpha high logo and i think i had one of those but it was like a size too small so it looked like it had been spray painted onto my skin at some points like a big full body tattoo but it was actually my (laughs) t-shirt that's amazing man what's the most rebellious thing that you reckon you did in that band? Yeah, I think there was a gig. It might have been the Hardcore Dare, actually. And it's like, we want to get moving around the set and we want to really thrash it out and do some headbanging and that. But because I had that, like, cheap £50 school bass with an even cheaper strap, every time I did try to do any, like, headbanging, the bass would ping off and the strap would let go and like, the bass would kind of, like, drop to my legs. I had to end up cradling it like a little baby. I couldn't really do the kind of headbanging that yeah. I wanted to anyway. But, yeah, I was probably one of them up there. Do you think then, Joe, like starting to wrap this one up, if you were going to give a young Joseph John Wiggins some advice about being in a band back then, looking back on it, what would you tell him to do differently? Get your bloody hair cut, mate. <laughs> That's what held you back. Is that because, yeah, but then you wouldn't be able to have your email address. What was it? Basemanwig at hotmail.com at the time. Yes, it was actually she. And then I matured and made it Afro bass. Yeah. He's, uh, did you yeah. bring the funk then as, as well or not? I've always left the funk back home. One day I'll bring it out, but I'm a bit, I don't think the world's ready for it yet. But now the advice I'd give to a young John Joe Wiggins is keep playing the bass, keep playing the bass, keep playing the bass and keep in like a guitar format. Because I, I stopped that and I was playing double bass as well in orchestra. And I kind of drifted into different musical styles later in life. And I do miss like having a pop at that. And when I do pick up a bass from time to time, I really enjoy it. So, you know, I suppose keep going, mate. A little pat on the shoulder. Totally. Yeah, man. What do you think you really got out of being in a band? What was the uh, these early days especially? What was in it for you? I suppose being in a band, it's all about that shared experience and it's being part of something bigger than yourself playing on your own. Sharing a platform with other musicians and affecting a crowd of people, there's some magic in that and that's what keeps people performing, I think. If you can give someone a good night or a good experience through the sounds that you're making, there's something magical in that that I still love today in various forms, you know. Bloody hell. Yeah, so it's time now for our next feature, which we're still calling My Napster, and we probably always will, where our guests can choose a track that most reminds them of their days being back in the band. We're curating a lovely little season one playlist, if I do say so myself. It's shaping up very nicely. So, Joe, take us back to 2003, 4, 5, paint the picture for us. Tell us your track and why you've chosen it, mate. 
for me, it was more LimeWire than Napster. I'm just going to put that one out there. For God's but, sake. Uh, yeah, so like we're like deep in the kind of LTHC, the Luton Town hardcore fraternity and like exploring all of these wonderful offshoots of heavy rock and metal. And for me, the creme de la creme was sixth. I'd yes. never heard anything like that. And I've never heard anything like it since. So for me, the tune is sixth, scent of the obscene, 100%. I mean, honestly, man, when anyone says the word sixth, I just want to bang on that whole album, that <laughs> iconic first album. So I'm really gagging to do it after this now. I'm not going to be able to put I... my son to bed. I'm going to have to bang it on. Yeah, man. If my wife heard that album and I said this was my favourite band back in the day, she was into Garage and German Bass in, the, in those years. She'd be like, why are they screaming and who are you? We were all big Six fans, weren't we, Stu, mate? They're absolutely epic. I just I was obsessed and still, like you said, it's one of the things in life, especially if you've had a bit, just kicks off. Just And I don't know what it is. Sometimes I think also, because they were local, right? Yeah. I think they were what, Watford-ish hop. Yeah. yeah. And I just think it's a bit of a proud thing there as well. Yeah, they kind of felt like ours, didn't they? They were like that yeah. local. And it was like the horn they played at. And ah, they were just like... I was, it's quite inspiring, isn't it? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But that's a great choice, man. Love that track. Blue banger, mate. That is straight on the playlist. <laughs> Last section of the chat, Joe. So we want to ask you a question. I'm going to put you in between a rock and a hard place. So I've got two places for you. First place to go is, would you rather be in a world where you have to dress like an emo scene kid every day for the rest of your life? So we're talking the long, straight and fringe, the black hair dye, the tight skinny jeans, the panties, oh the eyeliner, the van shoes, you know, that lot. Everything has to come from Top Man, by the way, as well. So there's that, that choice the rest of your life. Yeah. Or would you rather work in a normal, standard office administration job so music would literally only ever be something you could listen to oh that is brutal mate that is brutal top man eyeliner was <laughs> eyeliner as well so basically i've got to dress like you did when you were 16 yeah. 17 for the rest of my life i've got to be you yeah uh, or just work in a, an administrative job what sort of job are we talking here mate would it interest me at all sort of like reception vibes so you've got to do your emails pick up the phone every now and then but you're nine to five strictly you get 30 minute lunch that's it if i didn't have to straighten my hair then i would just bring the jack osborne stroke seth rogan back and i would live as that scene kid and it but it's the hair straightening that's killed it <laughs> I'll, I'll do half of it, Stu. I'll do half of it. <laughs> oh my god! You just oh, can't man. handle the admin. You've got to. You've got to be the scene kid. No, yeah, I'll just roll with it. I'll say, look, this is a condition I've got. I've got to dress like this. This is me. <laughs> Don't blame you, honestly. Wicked, Joe. It's been a pleasure, as I said, it would be to have you on the pod. Thank you so much, and uh... it's been an absolute privilege. Thank you, guys. I love you. Thanks, Joe. That's so good to see you, mate. Here we are once again. Another episode done and dusted. What did you enjoy about that one today, Lee? It went like lightning, mate, for me. That was a really good sign of a classic episode, I reckon. I, I really enjoyed hearing about your music tech stories. I wish I'd have had the guts to do a class like that at the time. I wonder if I'd have managed it. I didn't have much talent, a bit less than you guys. But, it's but here's a question, though, on that. If you did do a class like that, instead of doing what you did before and you dropped, let's say you did four subjects, what was the subject you would have dropped? Oh, fucking accounting. That was absolutely tragic. And say you'd have done music tech, do you think that would have changed your now position in your world? I think just being around some more like-minded people, even though you guys were having a bit of a laugh at the time, I would have probably made a bit more of a go of playing some music or at least putting some effort in because I really just went down a path of, no, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go uni and do this. 
That's yeah, yeah, a small regret in my life, not a major one, but like I've always got neural distortion to look back on, mate. So that's the real quiz. Yeah. <laughs> it was good to remember how massive Joe's Afro was as well. Getting reviewed, it was in iconic the in news. the scene, man. Yeah, was in the scene. Everyone knew him. Yeah, everyone knew him. Oh, that's Joe. That's Baseman Joe. Yeah. Or Afro Joe or Jack Osborne. They'd call him Jack, which was just pathetic. But it just reminded me of how that big jump from school to college and now it went from in school you only had a certain amount of people that were into the band thing whether they were listening or playing and into it and then you suddenly went to college and it became a massive social thing so you were playing a gig or going to a gig because your mate was in the gig and having beers and just really hugely affected your experience whether you were into yeah. music at the time man so just yeah. right it was also a good way to get into sort of pubs and bars underage because remember at college we were still like mostly under 18 probably most of the time so totally. it's like, ah, oh, yeah. mate's playing in a band. They let you in? Yeah, my mate's playing in a band. You're like, just going to a pub at 17. You're like, you might get served. So it was like, that'd be sick. For so many yeah, reasons. Brilliant. Exactly. Right. So let's wrap that one then. As always, please do subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. And if you could share it with at least one person you know, Lee will thank you by serenading you on MSN with a rendition of Papa Roach's Between Angels and Insects on the acoustic guitar at a time of your choice. I might even send you a selfie off my webcam as well. I might hook up the webcam USB and if you really do, subscribe to the podcast. It really means a lot to me. I'll do anything. We're already excited for the next episode. We've got a, we've got a few folks lined up in queue and we look forward to hearing more stories about the band days from those folks that we know. Massive thanks to Joe Wiggins for being on the podcast today. Great to catch up with Joe after about 17 years of not speaking to him. So that was awesome for me. If anyone's got any suggestions, please get in touch on Twitter via at Back in the Band or even our new Instagram channel too, Back in the Band Pod. There's some incredible content going around on the Insta. Don't miss it. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or know someone you think would be good, just give us a shout on social. Just make sure to tell us your ASL and we can almost certainly guarantee you'll get in one of the upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening, everyone.